From the Annals of Thoracic Surgery and the Society of Thoracic Surgeons, welcome to Beyond the Abstract, part of the Society of Thoracic Surgeons Surgical Hot Topics series. I'm Tom Varghese, a thoracic surgeon and deputy editor of Digital Media and Digital Scholarship for the Annals. This is a podcast all about the why behind the articles and the issues in cardiothoracic surgery and healthcare, and what are the planned next steps from authors and thought leaders in the field. We're glad that you are here. If you enjoy our program, please rate our podcast on iTunes or Google Play or wherever you downloaded this podcast. Your feedback is appreciated. Please remember, the opinions expressed in this podcast are that of the individuals and not necessarily of SDS. Hi, I'm Dr. Ara Vaporjan. I'm so excited to share news about the new STS Cardiothoracic Surgery eBook. It is the most complete and authoritative online resource of cardiothoracic surgical information available anywhere in the world. And it was authored and edited by the specialty's leading experts. This ebook provides a rich multimedia educational experience that includes regularly updated content in both cardiac and general thoracic surgery. So no more waiting for the textbook publishers to issue a new version every few years. We use the ebook in my training program, and the residents love the high-quality illustrations, photos, and surgical videos. The new ebook is available online or through a mobile app so that it's available in the office, at home, or at any point of care 24-7. To see a sample and learn more about the STS Cardiothoracic Surgery eBook, go to sts.org slash eBook. On January 9th, 2020, the World Health Organization announced a mysterious coronavirus-related pneumonia in Wuhan, China. A global emergency was announced by the WHO on January 31st, and eventually the WHO declared COVID-19 as a pandemic on March 11th, 2020. At the time of this recording, nine months after declaration of pandemic status, there have been 77 million global cases, 1.7 million global deaths, and here in the United States, for a variety of reasons, by far the country that has suffered the most, 18 million cases and 318,000 deaths. As the pandemic has disrupted every aspect of our lives, it comes as no surprise that there has been a huge impact on in-person gatherings, including academic conferences. Organizations are restricted in options for venues, requiring many to embrace the need for virtual offerings. Over the past several months, we have seen a variety of virtual academic meetings, and there have been past challenges in seeking best practices. In today's Beyond the Abstract podcast, we connect with two leaders in CT surgery. First, Dr. Juan Crescinello, a professor and consultant in adult cardiac surgery at the Mayo Clinic, who is the Society of Thoracic Surgeons chair of the annual meeting workforce. We will hear his perspectives on what to expect at STS 2021, the virtual annual meeting taking place in January 2021. These perspectives are detailed in a white paper STS 2021, the annual meeting of the Society of Thoracic Surgeons that was recently published ahead of print in the Annals of Thoracic Surgery. STS 2021 will be delivered in a condensed format to allow for increased attendance and participation spanning three days, streaming simultaneously on four separate channels covering the latest topics in adult cardiac, general thoracic, congenital cardiac surgery, as well as critical care, education, health policy, ethics, and patient safety. On-demand content will allow for leisure access to additional content, including thematic sessions, videos, abstracts, and posters. We will also connect with Dr. Brian Mitzman, 
an assistant professor in general thoracic surgeon at the University of Utah, who was co-chair of the STS Virtual Conference Task Force. The task force consisted of CT surgical education content experts who have had leadership experience as chairs of CME events, program directors, and School of Medicine leadership positions. The work product of this task force, the SCS Virtual Conference Task Force, recommendations for hosting a virtual surgical meeting, was also published online ahead of print and is featured in the January issue of the Annals of Thoracic Surgery. With Dr. Mitzman, we will discuss the findings of their global search for best practices, as well as initial thoughts about the future. The white paper details recommendation for virtual meetings, including timing, format, audience engagement and participation, virtual etiquette, technical needs, meeting planning, and social components. Join us today as we go beyond the abstract. We are privileged today to be joined by Dr. Juan Crescinello from the uh, Mayo Clinic. Uh, Juan is the chair of the workforce on the annual meeting for the Society of Thoracic Surgeons. And today's interview is really reflective of the editorial that was recently published uh, online in the Annals of Thoracic Surgery. Uh, Juan, uh, thank you for joining us today and welcome to Beyond the Abstract. Thank you, Tom. Perfect, let's dive right in. Um, you have not had an easy path as workforce chair. It just seems like every single time we have something decided, then something big like a pandemic or something just puts a complete monkey wrench <laughs> into every one of your plans. Is, is that a nice way of summing things up as you reflect on this past year? Yeah, clearly this has been a, a challenging year and it has been a challenging year for for all of us, I mean, for, uh, for, for the world, you know, population, for the nation, and also for, for the specialty. And, um, and, and we, we cannot uh, minimize the, the impact that the pandemic has uh, as in, the, in the society as a whole, and also in the, in the cardiothoracic uh, surgery community where uh, many of our members have been in the in the forefront of uh, fighting this uh, awful disease by um, dealing with the patients on a on a on a day to day basis on, by placing patients on ECMO and uh, postponing you know elective surgeries to to make rooms and uh, for in the ICUs for for the uh, COVID patients. Etc. Cetera, Etc. Cetera. So all all this year has been really um, um, labeled as a, a and it will be labeled forever as the year of the of the of the pandemic, and also you know as a consequence of that the the our efforts on on planning the meeting has been uh, completely uh, changed uh, from a, a very nice and and exciting. Uh, live uh, meeting uh, in Austin where the, the meeting initially was going to be uh, was thought that it was going to be a celebration of survival celebration of uh, getting over the the pandemic and being able to to get back uh, all, all together as a as a specialty the uh, it, it turned out to not to be possible because of the uh, you know, ongoing uh, difficulties with the with the pandemic, uh, and as such, we we decided to uh, to turn the, the the meeting as a as a virtual meeting. No, and and you eloquently laid out the rationale for a lot of those driving forces that led to that decision. 
Um, and for the listeners at the time of this recording, we're about the ninth month into this pandemic. Um, the question, that, the next question that naturally flows from that then Juan is, what portions of the meeting uh, of a traditional annual meeting are still present in this virtual format? And what are some of the changes um, that, uh, that you're, you're planning that'll be different than what we've done in past years? So the main principle of the, of the meeting of uh, bringing together the, the specialty to celebrate the latest uh, scientific advances and to celebrate our specialty, uh, our dedication to patient care and, and the accomplishment for, for the last year and the, and the resilience of the specialty are, are still there. We have, in, in terms of the, of the traditional uh, portion of the meetings, there's still, there's still going to be a portrait of the latest science with the abstracts and, and as well as uh, sessions, particularly sessions where um, we portrayed immersive uh, video experience with uh, uh, leaders in the fields in different uh, areas of uh, surgery, in adult cardiac surgery, in thoracic surgery, as well as in, in congenital, as well as deep dive uh, sessions where the details of the different surgical procedures are discussed in, in detail by leaders of uh, the specialty and experts in the field with the audience. So in other words, Juan, you're saying that instead of uh, in a past annual meeting where you may have somebody just play a video or something like that, uh, the unique aspect you guys are talking about is really an immersive 360 opportunity, potentially use some virtual technology and everything where people can not only see the procedure, but actually see what's going on in the OR room itself. Is that correct? Right. So we, the, the immersive uh, video experience will not only portray what is going on in the, in the operative field, but also it will allow us to portray what's going on in the OR and what the rest of the team is doing, which is also very important uh, for the success of the operation and the development of the of the of the surgery as an orchestrate a process that not only involved the surgeon but also involved the whole uh, OR team. That, that's that's great. Now I know that uh, Dr. Durani's presidential address right now is all 100% hush hush, top secret. Are, are you allowed to say give us any glimpses, or is that still you're, you're sworn to secrecy as well? <laughs> I don't know the I don't know the details, but uh, I, I can tell you that. Yeah, yeah I don't, I don't a... believe it, Juan. I bet you know the details. You're just not sharing it with us. It's okay. It's it's fine. We'll leave that as a tease, and hopefully we'll no, look forward to but, that. But, but I know that it's going to be a different uh, a different presidential address. Uh, is is going to have a di uh, a different uh, format. I mean, the the, the fact that this uh, a virtual meeting will uh, will allow for different videos as well as uh, in interactive uh, features as well as pre-recorded uh, portions of the presidential address that will highlight the innovation, the, the dynamic situation that we are right now and the vision for the for the future for the for the specialty and for the society. So it, it's, it certainly is going to be a, a, a different address that it's going to be uh, delivered than uh, what it has been traditional uh, until now. Perfect. And the the actual meeting itself is shortened to three days um, as compared to four. Uh, any concerns on your part, uh, Juan, in terms of 
things we've done historically in the past in person that now that we're doing virtual um, that we need to be very mindful of as we navigate this new virtual landscape? Well, the, the virtual landscape is, it is challenging. There are two components of the meeting. One is the scientific uh, component, which this meeting will be second to none. I mean, it will be the scientific component and uh, in terms of the themes, the science being portrayed as well as the, the, the quality of the presentations will be outstanding, like always has been on, on uh, STS. The interaction between the, the, the participants, because being a, a virtual uh, meeting, and uh, that unfortunately will be uh, limited. But we're trying to develop a, a structure within the virtual meeting that will allow us for increased interaction between the speakers and the audience and either through chats and a, an audience response system for really a, an immersive experience for the audience. Unfortunately, we won't have the ability to socially interact like we normally do on the live meeting where we have the ability to, to get together and on a day-to-day -day basis. However, there's a significant amount of social events and, and celebrations that are being placed as a part of the, of the annual meeting that uh, will allow uh, not only to portray the, the scientific events, but also will allow us to really interact as a, as a society and, 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 and celebrate the, the, the specialty. And, and those interaction uh, events, uh, and correct me if I'm wrong, it's not just uh, the generic social, you also have planned some specific targeted networking for uh, residents, trainees, young faculty members as well, because I, I know that you and I have both heard significant concerns, especially from the younger generations about, you know, the live in-person meetings where they're networking opportunities and, and we need to be mindful of that. Is, is that a correct way of summing that portion? Yeah, that's one? correct. Mm -hmm. Perfect. And then as we navigate this, um, do you do you have a sense of any portions that could potentially become a mainstay even long after the pandemic is finished? That once we're getting back to live in-person meetings, that there may be elements that you're building in right now that you anticipate could become the norm for the future? Well, I think that the one of the uh, main advantage of the of the meeting being virtual is that we, we all can participate in the meeting regardless of where we are. And really that opens the door for the whole world to, to participate on, the, on an STS meeting. And that's something that we aspire that the next uh, meetings and, and I think that the maintaining some type of a virtual interaction that allows the meeting to be a, really a global meeting uh, that is always present that will allow us to, to have a, a audience from all over the world as well as speakers from all over the world participate in the meeting as if we, as we were really here in the host city that's one of the characteristics of, of the meeting that they need to be uh, maintained also the the ability to to have this content of the meeting available to everybody on demand after the meeting is over that's really an important 
uh, an, an important legacy of the of this virtual meeting that will allow us to disseminate that, this uh, this knowledge not only during the three or four days of the meeting but during the whole year and people could go back and uh, re uh, revisit uh, the lectures and and the presentations and use it as a tool for continuously learn throughout the year in addition all these uh, new 360 videos that provides an, an immersive experience between experts in the field and the audience, as well as the, the far chat conversations, but now there is going to be called the Ask the Experts, where the audience, again, participate in an unstructured un uh, fashion with experts in the field discussing a topic and, and where, the, where the experts of the, in, in the field will, will be able to, to give the, their um, pearls uh, for success and and all the knowledge uh, that uh, acquired over years and years of, of performing procedures. Th those are areas of the meeting that I think that they, they will need to be uh, maintained in, in the future. Oh, that's, that's brilliant. And no, and thank you again for taking the time. Um, any final comments to our listeners in terms of uh, um, uh, a final message to them regarding the upcoming annual meeting? We will de deliver the outstanding content in a new uh, platform, in a new platform that will be interactive, that will have uh, that, that will have live components as well as uh, on-demand uh, components, and it will allow us uh, the public as well as the uh, presenters to to interact in a seamless way to share the latest advancements in in cardiothoracic surgery. Well, uh, thank you so much for uh, taking the time to connect uh, today. Um, uh, ladies and gentlemen, that was Dr. Juan Crescenello from the Mayo Clinic, chair of the uh, SDS workforce on the annual meeting. On behalf of our uh, Beyond the Abstract, uh, thanks so much, Juan. Thanks, Tom. I have the distinct pleasure of being joined today by the amazing uh, Dr. Brian Mitzman, who's an assistant professor uh, in the Division of Cardiothoracic Surgery at the University of Utah. Uh, Brian, thanks for taking the time to join us. Thanks for the invitation, Tom. Really happy to be here. Um, so for our listeners, the reason for today's episode is to deep dive in this special article uh, that you helped uh, first author, uh, Brian. Uh, and the article entitled the Society of Thoracic Surgeons Virtual Conference Task Force Recommendations for Hosting a Virtual Surgical Meeting. Uh, full disclosure, uh, I'm the senior author on this article and I also happen to be the council chair of meetings and education for the Society of Thoracic Surgeons. But uh, Brian, if you can uh, outline the rationale for this project uh, in your, your thoughts and words. Sure, so as everyone out there knows, COVID-19 has really changed uh, education in the surgical community, how we do conferences, uh, whether they're large meetings or small meetings. And we noticed that back in March and April, when many meetings started to be turned into uh, a virtual format, there was no consistency. Uh, under the guidance of the STS, this, this workforce was put together to try to determine some baseline uh, criteria of how to run a virtual meeting so that we can get the best quality and the best education uh, out of it. So as you embarked on this project, uh, was your thought initially to think about, uh, you know, 
like evidence-based guidelines or were you just searching and trying to do an environmental scan of what's out there? Well, what were your thought processes as, as you embarked on the project? Sure, great question. We really approached this from, from two different uh, vantage points. First, we, also, we looked at evidence-based guidelines. Unfortunately, there's not a lot out there in the medical community when it comes to guidelines for a virtual medical conference. So we looked into research and literature um, more from the business realm on the best ways to keep a community engaged during a virtual conference uh, and uh, interact with the adult learner. We then looked at our own uh, personal experiences. The virtual conference task force was made up of a range of different leaders uh, in the, in the surgical community from residents all the way up to uh, senior attendings. Most of us had been involved with uh, CTSnet uh, virtual uh, roundtables that had started back in March or April and other virtual meetings from uh, different organizations. And we discussed what made those meetings successful and things that um, uh, didn't work well. Uh, the initial focus was on quality. Um, no matter what the topic is, if we have poor audio or visual quality, um, a meeting, a virtual meeting is not going to work. So that was goal number one from the task force, focusing on producing high quality um, virtual meetings uh, that, that can engage all of the, uh, the participants. And, uh, and specifically in your paper, you called out that you are not making recommendations that virtual meetings replace live meetings. I mean, I'll read out a paragraph from the article itself where you said, virtual meetings are not exact equivalents to live meetings, nor should we intend them to be. While we strive for virtual meetings to meet many of the same objectives and goals of live gatherings, the pathway and strategy to do so will differ in order to be effective and to take advantage of the potential unique strengths of the virtual format. Before we dive into the specific recommendations that the task force came about, um, was that con uh, construct or that state, those statements that you wrote, were there differences of opinions among task force members? I mean, uh, I guess this is more me asking like a peek behind the curtains. Was there any controversy for coming out with a statement like that? There wasn't any controversy, but there were some difference of opinions when we, when we first met. Many people on the task force weren't completely familiar with familiar with um, uh, technology and the capabilities of a of a of a virtual meeting. I can't emphasize enough. You know that paragraph I think is the foundation of of the paper. A virtual meeting is not a live meeting. Period. You know I'll leave the names of the organizations out, but back in you know the, the beginning of the pandemic when everything went virtual, several organizations tried to mimic their live meetings and it was hours and hours of lectures. That doesn't work. You know, I think all of us at this point are having Zoom fatigue where everyone knows what it's like to sit in front of a computer for seven or eight hours listening to lectures. It's, it's terrible. Um, virtual meetings really need to engage our participants, bring in that interactivity that you get at a live meeting. You know, even if you're at a live meeting, whether it's the STS annual meeting or a smaller conference, and it's, you know, a 12 hour day of lectures, you're talking to friends, you're talking to colleagues, you have coffee breaks, there's interaction during the sessions where you're getting up to the microphone, where you're debating with the people sitting next to you. That's what you have to bring into a, into a virtual meeting. It can't just be you know, a, a list of experts talking about their latest research and, 
you know, and, and expert topics in the field. And uh, as we go now uh, into the specific recommendations, with, with that in mind, you, you, your group actually embraced what this uh, format offers, and you really started to deep dive into the various aspects. Let's first talk about timing, because that probably is one of the most challenging things to think about when you're planning a virtual meeting. Because if you intend your audience to be global, let's be honest, there's never going to be a perfect time period for this meeting to occur. Uh, is that a good way of framing that particular uh, topic? Yeah, that's, that's exactly right. And that became one of the foundations of this paper because of our experience with the first CTSNet Global Grand Rounds when the editorial board of CTSNet sat around trying to figure out what is the best time to do a live meeting so that we can engage our audience from different parts of the world. Um, this led us to just create the, the time zone table that, that you see in the paper, um, where we looked at all the major time zones that we usually have participants in STS meetings. What time is it in, you know, in Brazil? It's 11 a.m. What time is it in Tokyo? It's 11 p.m. It's, it's important for people to understand what they're expecting of, of the participants for the meeting. You know, what time is it actually going to be where your participants are? Once we figured that out, we asked the STS just to provide us with you know, the surgeon members by time zone. Where are most of our members located? Just because STS is located in Chicago, that doesn't mean we're most, that's where most of our members are and that's where should we, we should be basing our timing around. Only 19% of STS members are actually in central time zone. We have 2% of our members that are in Beijing. That's a, a large portion of our, you know, East Asian membership. And we need to be considerate of what the time is, you know, in their time zone when we're, we're developing these virtual meetings. Uh, talk to me about um, this concept of recordings and live interaction activity, because that's obviously completely different from an in-person meeting. And it's something that we've actually started to see grow a little bit more as more and more organizations are offering vir uh, virtual meetings. Um, talk to me about that. Like, how do you try to seek out best practices in that arena, acknowledging the fact that most organizations have not been doing this before April of 2020? So that was actually one of the bigger controversies on this, this task force, whether we should focus on recorded sessions or whether they should be live. Personally, I'm a huge advocate for, for the live sessions. I think that's where you get the interactivity that we're striving for with the participants. Um, it also brings the spontaneity of, you know, asking questions to the person giving the presentation and seeing where the conversation goes. Unfortunately, there's a lot of limitations and we're still learning from this as we have more and more virtual meetings. Recorded sessions are safe. You know how long they're going to run. The pre presenter is not going to go over time. You don't have to worry about internet connectivity issues. Um, but again, you're losing that interactivity. Live sessions are wonderful. Um, the, the, the person giving the presentation can interact with people, whether it's in a chat room or you know whether they, a live question is asked. But you're dealing with uh, internet lag. You're dealing with the presenters um, uh, home internet connection if they get cut off. There's a there are a lot more variables that we're still working on when we're trying to figure out the technology required to host a virtual conference. 
But but let's be honest, Brian. I mean, it's it's gratifying to see finally speakers starting and ending on time for the first time ever in our existence, right? Rather than waiting for speakers to go extended amounts over their designated time limits, correct? Oh, totally. You know, as somebody that's hosted now uh, several virtual webinars and conferences, it's wonderful to know that a presentation is going to end at a very specified time point to the second and you don't need to worry about it. It makes running these things much easier. But you do you lose something um, when, when you have these recorded sessions. Uh, you have a section in this manuscript about virtual etiquette. Um, and I wanted to spend a couple of minutes uh, on, on that particular topic. And specifically, you have a paragraph under, um, you know, professionalism and uh, resource inequality. Could you expand on that for our listeners in terms of the issues that are arising in terms of professionalism in the virtual arena? These sections really focused on two different topics. When it came to professionalism, one of the things we wanted to emphasize was that just because you're sitting in your home or your office, you need to be just as professional as if you are up on a podium. Um, anything that you say or that you show during one of these presentations is fair game to be spread around the internet and to, to follow you and your name. So dress appropriately, make sure that your you know, background is professional and that you are um, very careful just in everything that you say as if you were standing in front of a crowd of several hundred people. The other paragraph in this section focused on, um, on resource inequality, that not everyone has the same access to resources when it comes to a virtual conference. When we focus in this paper on hardware recommendations and, and other aspects to improve the audio and visual quality of, of a virtual conference. But you know, not everyone has you know, hundreds of dollars to spare for, for a high-end microphone. Not all trainees or residents have, really have a safe, uh, a quiet space, a quiet office you know, to sit down in where they can you know, record their presentation. Uh, and all these things need to be considered uh, when you know, a conference is being planned and participants are being invited to give presentations. So uh, extending on the theme about potentially resource inequality, um, we're gonna jump ahead to um, you, you and the, the group spent uh, a good chunk of time talking about diversity and inclusion. So I'm gonna read a couple sentences from you. I just wanna ask about your thoughts in, in, in constructing these sentences. So. Um, what you and the authors have said is, it is imperative that we continue to increase diversity in our national societies and create an inclusive environment for all members. A virtual meeting provides a unique opportunity to allow those to participate who may not otherwise have a voice, as well as those who may not have the ability to travel across the country due to family or personal obligations. It's interesting that you, um, uh, if this was stated but then you also acknowledge the fact that even though it does potentially level the playing field, that resource inequality by itself may lead to a disparity as well. Is that a great way of framing things? Yeah, absolutely. One of the things everyone knows with, with meetings is it's expensive to travel. Many younger faculty, many trainees don't have control over their call schedule, so they may not get to travel to a virtual meeting, uh, to an uh, in-person meeting. And 
people have family obligations and personal, uh, other personal obligations where they can't travel. A virtual meeting does level the playing field in that aspect because you don't need to plan several days. You don't need to leave home. You could take in an hour um, you know, to give your presentation. But it's on the conference hosts and uh, the group that's putting the meeting together to make sure that you know, a diverse uh, panel of, uh, of presenters are being included um, uh, uh, as part of the conference. Um, if we were to take Zoom out and take a bigger, broader perspective, um, and now that you've deep dived into this, what would you say if we were to say a head-to-head live meeting versus a virtual meeting? What would you say is a strengths of live meeting versus strengths of the virtual offering? I think that's the biggest question uh, nowadays because we've gone from basically com- completely live meetings for years. Now everything is virtual and there was no transition period. There was no hybrid period to see which is better. We were We were forced. So it was a very kind of black and white transition from one type of meeting to another. I think for a live meeting, you know, you have that social aspect, you have that interactivity, that spontaneity. Um, These meetings are what, you know, reinvigorate many surgeons in our field after, you know, months of working in your home institution, taking care of patients, you get to go see the, the, you know, the, the latest research being done and interact with the leaders, leaders in your field. But again, it's expensive. You're taking time away from home. You're taking time away from work. It's not always feasible. Uh, virtual meetings, on the other hand, are much easier to participate in. Again, you only may need an hour or two. Um, if it's recorded, you can watch the videos on your own time. You're able to get all that latest uh, research and information you know, in a, in a much easier fashion. But until we figure out the best way to improve the interactivity during a virtual conference and that spontaneity and the social aspect, that's what we're missing with with the virtual aspect. And as I mentioned before, it's the Zoom fatigue. You know, sitting in front of a computer for you know hours on end is exhausting. Even if it's the most interesting you know presentation you've ever seen, it wears you down. So as we navigate into this new world, and at the time of this recording the COVID vaccines are slowly being deployed out and we're hopefully seeing the end of this pandemic coming coming to bear. Are there elements of the virtual meeting that you think will remain a mainstay um, even after the pandemic is finished? I don't think virtual meetings are going anywhere. I think we've opened a, a door. It's not a Pandora's box. I think this is you know a good box that, that we've opened that even once we, we've gotten through the pandemic and can have live meetings again, we figured out a way to increase participation, to allow people to participate in our national meetings or local meetings who may not be able to travel, who may have these other obligations. So our goal down the road is to continue a hybrid approach. So to be able to bring back all those great things that we see in a live meeting, seeing your friends, seeing your colleagues, that interactivity, but to also allow for a virtual component where those people that can't travel to the meeting can still participate in a meaningful way, see the research, get the information and still interact with, with their colleagues, even if they're not there in person. Well, uh, for our listeners, uh, I encourage all of you to go and read this white paper that uh, this uh, task force uh, put out there. Um, it kind of lays out a great rationale for all the methods that have been employed in place 
by various organizations around the world and uh, as well as a call for, uh, for things to think about uh, in the future. Um, on behalf of our listeners, uh, thanks to Dr. Brian Mitzman for joining us today on uh, Beyond the Abstract. Thanks, Brian. Thanks for having me. Join us next time as we continue to explore and debate issues beyond the abstract, part of the Surgical Hot Topic series. You can connect with the Annals of Thoracic Surgery online at annalsthoracicsurgery.org or on Twitter at Annals Thor Surge.